Good morning, marketers, and welcome to the If You Market podcast brought to you by Mountaintop Data. We are the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. I'm Sky Cassidy, and today we'll be talking with Paul Ace of Amplify Ccom about customer service automation. That is not what we'll be talking about. I botched that. <laughs> I changed it on my physical printout, but not on the computer screen. Okay. And today we'll be talking with Paul Ace of Amplify Ccom about conversational commerce or conversation automation. Paul is a, a drummer and a singer and also a conversational commerce expert and the CEO of Amplify Ccom, where they help seven-figure high-ticket course creators generate an extra six to seven figures in new revenues using conversational commerce. Paul, uh, thanks for joining us on the show today. Great to be here, Sky, and uh, looking forward to giving some value to your audience. So quick clarification on the intro there. Um, high ticket course creators. Can you explain to the audience what, what that is? Yeah, yeah. So that's typically someone who's got a, a program, a, a course with maybe an element of group coaching or in person that's typically $5,000 or above. Um, and from $5,000 really up to about $50,000. Um, and some are like in the process of building like $100,000 programs as well. So uh, they may have other pro programs underneath, but that's really like the, the core where we where we work. Excellent, excellent. Okay, you are in England, is that right? I, I, I am, yes. Um, not so not so sunny this time of year, but but it's it's still great. Some of your terms may be unfamiliar with us, so I'll jump in and ask you to explain something <laughs> where you're like, come on, everybody knows what a sticky wicket is. Why do I need to explain that? <laughs> All good. Um, okay, so let's let's get along here to straight into the topic. Um, conversation automation and conversational commerce. It's what you guys specialize in as a company. Um, can you give a general overview to the listeners what, what, that, what that means? Yeah, so, so conversational commerce is, is really where marketing is heading right now. Because if, if you look back to the early 2000s, right, e-com was just coming on and people were like, Oh, what is it? What is this electronic commerce thing that's go going on? And people were just scared to put the credit card details in. Now, now going forward, since the pandemic and everything else, people's demands have gone up significantly. Right? Everyone wants personalized service, and they want instant answers. So, what we look at is how do we create more trust, connection, rapport through the whole buyer journey, right from the first point first point where they first come in and maybe see your website for the first time or your sales funnel all the way through to the sales process and how do we bridge that gap between a combination of using conversational language right where you would normally use that in conversation rather than feeling like a robot uh, and then we also have that human takeover where then uh, we've got this basically we can do 80 percent human-like customer experience and then a 20% human experience. So it means you get to have that personal touch with every person that comes through. And at the same time, you get to automate the grunt work that you want to automate at the front end so you can give that more personalized service to everyone who comes in. It seems like this is a, like um, e-commerce is matured to the point basically where initially a new product comes in and let's say it's the automobile and people are like, this is so cool. I want to, 
I'm going to jump through all these hoops to do it. And I don't mind. And then as the product matures, people are like, I actually expect the same. I don't need to be doing all the work and jumping through the hoops. Now I kind of expect to have a good customer experience because there's competition. It isn't just, there's one person making this amazing thing that you can get. So it seems that initially people come into e-commerce like, well, look what I can do on the web now. Amazing. And they'll jump through the hoops. But now have we gotten to a point where it's basically saying, let's get back to where we were before the internet. And you actually had a human interaction for the whole funnel. And you're saying, now we need to take your fully automated funnel that gives a bad experience and automate it in a better way to give a more, a better experience. Exactly. So that's, that's certainly one piece of the jigsaw. And the other piece is understanding what language patterns are your customers using, right? So imagine, imagine you were ringing up to complain about something and, and you were ring, ringing up, let's say your broadband provider and you're like, hey, I, it's not working. I'm so frustrated right now. And they say, yeah, Sky, I, I, I really appreciate that. I know you're angry. And you're like, no, I'm not angry. I just said I'm frustrated. Why are you not listening to me? Actually, what they say is uh, due to overwhelming. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're like, we're overwhelmed care. right now. So uh, you're going to be on wait for a long time. Please sit. And then three hours later, if you're still there, exactly. they just disconnect you and make you call back and go through that all. So they're they're. I understand what you're saying. Bad example in that the, the cable companies here in the U.S. have basically set up a known situation where they're like, don't call us because Ever. it's going to be a waste of your time and your worst experience you've ever had in your life. They've trained us just to not bother. But I understand so, so, what you're saying. Yeah. So let's let's take that now and apply that to a, a sales funnel. Right. Uh, and I say a sales process. So one of the first things that we do when we go into a business is we go and survey the list. So we'll survey the buyers and we'll survey the non-buyers. And then we'll find out what their goals are, what their desires are, what's the pain, what's been stopping them from getting to where they want to go. And then we'll use the customer's language patterns in the headlines. When so, you say buyers and non-buyers, are you talking about general target audience list or people who came into the funnel and didn't buy versus ones that did? Yeah, so you've got different levels of it, right? So some some people will have a, a lower ticket product so they might be selling something for 47 dollars, and then they get people onto a book call and then they sell something for five thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars other people will go straight to a ten thousand dollar product straight from a book call now in those situations so what what we'll look at is let's go and segment out the survey based on if if they've not bought anything but maybe they've abandoned cart then mm -hmm. let's survey those people why didn't they buy so the first question that we always do is we send an email out in the first one on the abandoned cart sequence. What went wrong? Did something go wrong or did something break? Just let me know. I'll get it fixed ASAP. Such right. a conversational message, right? Rather than that, hey, let me tell you all the reasons why you should have bought this thing. Right. And, and then people are like, oh, great, another sales pitch. So then what we do, we start to get this feedback loop. And then we can use those feedback loops to fix the holes in the funnel. So instead of trying to guess then we actually just take the customer's language, we take the customer's feedback, and then we use that to fix the funnel. So that's where that conversational commerce part is coming in. So for example, with the headlines, then you go, let's look through the survey results. Okay, we pulled out 10 top keywords here, right? These are what the desires were, these are what the pains were. 
Now let's go and do, and, and I learned this from uh, Mint CRO. Um, they do something called a color block test. Okay, so what happens is you go on to go onto Facebook, you start, you run twenty different ads, and you use a traffic objective. So that basically, like, it's really cheap clicks, but you get to test data very quickly. Mm-hmm. So you'll take the survey results, you'll take like ten different uh, desires, ten different pains. Put those into headlines. Put just a let's say just a red background, plain red background, and and black text on it or white text, and that that's it. That's all the images, right? And then what you do, you put that in a traffic headline test. So then you go and test those twenty headlines, see which one gets the highest click through rate and the lowest cost per click, and then you use that on your landing page. So you take the guesswork out of actually doing the testing. So it's marketing testing, but you need a high volume of traffic for that. So you're looking, I imagine, at a uh, a low cost per click uh, type product and a low value product. But getting the testing, so it seems like you're saying the first step of the process is to gather information, feedback yes. from the actual interacting people to figure out why they did and didn't. You're optimizing the customer journey, kind of. Exactly. So what we're looking for is... It's kind of like looking for that that pot of gold, right? We're, we're looking for the most profitable path in the customer journey. So one thing we find with a lot of businesses, they've, they've currently got no way of tracking their lifetime customer value. So we say, what's your lifetime customer value like? Well, if I took all the sales that I've got, you know, and and divided by that number of people who bought, then I could probably work it what it, it is overall. But that's it. They're not tracking it per funnel. They're not tracking it per um, touch point in the journey so what we look at is then based off doing things like those headline tests then we go great they're the winners so then we go on to the funnel and then we look at um we'll go right we'll test his headline against his headline and then we'll look at the lifetime customer value between uh funnel a and funnel b instead of just looking at okay which one got a higher opt-in rate because that doesn't matter really Right. So you're saying instead of knowing your lifetime customer value for the whole company, like, hey, are we making money or not? Like, well, we need to know for each individual path what's working best, just like with testing the background color and the the headline and stuff. What's working best so we can focus that shift everything to that type of a type of. And and then we get and then we go back to this feedback loop. So, for example, we just built out a um, a new new landing page process for a client. And we were like, hey, we want to get these conversion rates up. So what we did, it was like, okay, who's the ta- we've got the target audience. And some of those target audience were actually on the staff as mm-hmm. well as, right? So they worked in their community and so on and so forth. So what we did is it was like, okay, I'm going to give you a link to that page. You give me a Loom video of all the things that you notice as a user on there. So we got basically probably about seven different of the perfect avatar going through that page and saying, this is what I noticed, this is what I noticed. And we just refined and refined and refined. And right. then straight out the gate in the first month, we went from 1.2% conversion rate to 2.2. So pretty oh. much almost double sales. So a couple things, a couple questions uh, come up. Let's uh, I'll, I'll throw them both out there and then answer them whatever you want. But one, how do you get people to actually do that for it? Like you're getting your customers or people who didn't even buy to to do that for you can be very difficult sometimes. And then the, the second uh, question, it seems like what you're, what you're talking about is 
again, the step back to pre e-commerce of saying these people are going to have an account manager in a sense. Now it may be a lot of automation. That's the account manager, but they're having an experience as if they had an actual account manager and everything was a person to person uh, conversation. But with those account managers, it can be extremely difficult to get them to gather the information you're talking about because they're not interested in that. They're interested in doing the sale, moving them through the pipeline, stuff like that. So to get a bunch of account managers together, collect this information from them and be able to apply it to optimize stuff, um, I guess I'd say it seems kind of like the best of both worlds where you're giving the account manager style experience, but you can actually collect all the data that you'd be herding cats to do with an account manager. Yeah. I don't so know if that's do a you question. That? You answered it yes, so I guess it's a question. But okay. so that seems great. I, I love this hybrid um, capability now because of the data collection capabilities. Um, back to the uh, the first question though, which was a, more of an actual question. So so how how do you, how do you do that? How do you actually get non-biased to go and give you that feedback? Well, he, he, here's the thing. Number one, it depends on the audience, right? So. We, we'll test different messaging in terms of to get people to fill in that that survey at the front so this could be sent maybe 30 days after they've opted in it could be sent uh two days after they've opted in right or or five days so you go and test again everything is a test um we don't we we go with ideas of what we've seen that's worked but also at the same time every audience is different so and then the other thing is what are the language patterns that you use now sometimes you get it bang on some people are like hey i want to support you and they want to be part of the community right right so everyone's got different drivers depending on the niche so uh some people like to prove people wrong so then you might use a slightly more aggressive tactic uh with for example i think it was ryan levette created the why do you hate me survey right so so it, it's like we but we use that on a client recently um then we got quite a lot of feedback saying hey that's not the kind of language you want to use so we're like, okay, great. Let's let's switch that around. So now we're all very much kind of, hey, we really appreciate your feedback and and all those kind of things. So, right. so you basically ask your... them and you ask them in yeah. different ways until you find out. Now, do and, you ever have to go yeah. in and manually extract this, like pursue them in a non-automated way with with an account manager, because the either the volume is too small of people to try to get the feedback from that that kind of thing. Yeah, so so a couple of things. That the first thing is we also incentivize the non-buyers. So we'll say, hey, we'll put you into a prize draw to win this thing, right? It could be one of your products. It could be an iPad. It could be whatever you want. Because it it doesn't matter quite as much what the prize is with that, because you're not you're not bringing people into the survey to sell them something in the same way that you know when people do giveaways for lead generation that doesn't work well with an iPad because you're attracting the wrong crowd. However, if you're using maybe an iPad or a, a tablet or something to incentivize people to fill in a survey, then they're like, oh, great, I'll do that. So it's just like people have to weigh up in their mind, is the pain of doing this greater or less than the pain of not doing this? Right. Or is the benefit of doing this greater or less than the, pay, the, the benefit of not doing it? So when you when you look at, okay, how, how do I create that balance? For some people, it might just be, okay, I'm happy to fill it in. For some people, they're like, yeah, but what am I going to get out of it? Mm -hmm. Okay, so once you understand the psychology behind the audience, then you can do that. Now, the next part in terms of collecting the manual data, here's where we, 
we look at that process, right? So one of our first things is, uh, first principle is everything is tracked. So every, every single stage of a pipeline, every single funnel step, every single opt-in test, everything is tracked with a tag. Like tagged, coded, uh, dated, and everything. So that means then we can start to see like what language patterns are using through the whole journey. So there is an element of manual where I can say, to example, I can say to the sales manager, hey, what, what are you seeing that are the objections that are coming up? And then right. they can say this and this and this. And I go, great, let me look at the survey results and compare that and see if it's right. the same thing. Okay, so to, I, that seems important because maybe the survey results are skewed because the type of people who tend to, mm. especially in certain So getting that, I like that going to the salespeople and, and kind of looking to confirm or, or maybe have to skew the results based on their feedback. But again, you can't get this automated feedback from salespeople. It's pulling teeth. So having, um, having the automation, having that just allows you to get all this data. Um, you don't have to collect it from salespeople. It seems very convenient. And you also have like, so a lot of it is built through uh, text messaging and, and email automation where we have documents of the, of the conversations that have gone on, right? So at that point, we can, we can look at some of that data and analyze some of that as well to see what language patterns are being used if you want to go even deeper with that. And it's the same thing then you've got things like uh, Hotjar where you can mm -hmm. look at the visitor recordings and see what are the usability experiences. So everything from that first touch point where someone first comes into your world all the way to the back end sale, it's about optimizing every single part, right? To find the most profitable path. So we're, we're, we're talking about conversation automation as kind of the general large yeah. topic, but really what it comes down to is by conversation, you're talking about the funnel and the, the, um, the customer journey and considering that a conversation versus hoops they have to jump through or, or something like that. And would, would it be accurate to say this is all about basically refining that customer journey to, to make it a better, more successful experience? What 100% because if you look at the, so there's different points right in the in the customer journey where you can you can create increases so it could be average order value on your front end offer so you know you can spend more to acquire a front end customer it could be your front end uh, roi it could be the back end sales closing rate or here's a great one it could be if you're providing a great customer experience it could be the amount of referrals that are feeding the system at the start so the better the buying experience you create then the more people are going to refer to you uh, afterwards. So I'll give, you, I'll give you an example of where we really took a combination of, um, and we call it the trifecta of psychology, technology, and dataology. So we looked at the data. So the first part, the dataology part. So we looked at the data and we found when people got to day four of a challenge, they, um, the, average, the lifetime customer value went up significantly. So we knew if they consumed day four, it's like, oh, wow, if they consume day four, great. They're going to buy. They're going to buy the back end offer. So then we was like, well, how can we get more people to consume day four? Well, we need to create some accountability. So this is where we created this combination of human-like and human experience. So we wrote in a conversational way um, automations to 
essentially remind people each day to go through the challenge and commit to do the thing so an email and a text message and then what we did we created something called a breakthrough buddy process right so that breakthrough buddy would be a real person that would be able to answer their questions through the whole buying journey so we'd start to build some rapport on day zero right straight away as soon as i get introduced to him find out a little bit about and what are the goals actually have that back and forth and build the rapport then all the automations every morning were automated so they didn't have to worry about those being late and we could control the data and then any extra questions that people had then they can naturally guard them through so then the lifetime value within 30 days doubled I, so overall I, because again because i love this hybrid easy. of yeah. uh of human and automation kind of work, working along like like that that's fantastic it it occurs like we have a topic for this episode but it seems like there's 10 different names we could have given it having to do with customer journey having to do with with, with so many so many different things um the automation aspect seems almost like hey we're not talking about pure automation here we're talking about this this hybrid system there are of course still humans involved in here uh, in, in the process i want to take a, a really quick break but uh, when we come back we've got paul ace here with us all the way from england and uh when we, when we come back we'll be talking a little bit more about uh, conversation automation um about customer journey improvements whatever label you want to you want to put on it uh you're listening to the if you market podcast and we'll be right back are you looking for new leads or always in need of quality contacts for your marketing campaigns but list companies and online tools are the worst, right? Well, then you've got to check out Top Data Search by Mountaintop Data. At Mountaintop Data, we're a team of weird people that actually like getting our hands dirty with sales and marketing data, and we specialize in business contact information. We compile and maintain a database of tens of millions of targeted, high-quality business decision makers with emails, phone numbers, mailing address, and all the information you need. Go to topdatasearch.com and request a free account with the promo code IYM1000, like if you market the podcast here, and get a free account with unlimited searches, no seat fees, and 1,000 free record download credits. That's topdatasearch.com. Welcome back to the If You Market podcast. We've got Paul Ace here with us. We're talking about conversation automation about customer journey flows about improving that whole process of the funnel from the first touch with marketing all the way down through into the sales process uh, paul before we get back into that uh, i'd like to get into you a bit paul ace first of all what a, what a name ace <laughs> is the last name um i want to marry you just so i can take your last name uh <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about where you came from, your journey to being CEO of Amplify Seacom there? Sure, yeah. So I'll give you the shortish version, okay? So I went from selling sausage rolls when I was 18 to, well, I actually worked at Subway, then I was selling sausage rolls, then I became a wedding singer, <laughs> then I was selling bridesmaids dresses, then I was like, huh, pretty good at this digital marketing thing. And then, then I ended up starting a digital marketing agency called the Messenger Bot Guy when Messenger Bots were the first came out. And then from there, I re remember my uh, my now mentor said to me at the time, he he was like, "If you stick with that, you're going to be out of business in two years." And I was like, 
okay so then we we rebranded to amplify seco and then we realized hi it's more than just messenger bots and then it ended up to be honest we do very little of that stuff now so now we do mm. uh, yeah sms emails and the conversation and the automation so that's um and then just to dive in and go backwards a little bit right that's the short version mm. so it yeah. seems like you you were selling stuff selling stuff found out that whether it was a sausage roll or a wedding dress, you were like, I know how to figure out how to sell things. Maybe I should be focusing on that skill rather than the sausage rolls or, 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 or any other thing I could be selling. Yeah. I mean, when, so I was, I was 20 years old, um, running a, a bakery of 20 staff and that was, that was heavy. Um, I, I did pretty well there. We won like best shop in the area for like 11 months in a row. And, every, you know, when you think everything's going well and you're on top of the world. So that then at that point they said, uh, okay, we want you to go open this new store. So go to open this new store. It's a smaller team and stuff, but it was a brand new store and I was going to be running it from scratch. And um, at that point, then I realized uh, that I'd had it easy where I was before, right? Because it was a lot different kind of pace. Mm -hmm. And I realized my heart wasn't in it anymore. Um, and I remember one day I was basically pretty much having a panic attack on the, on the floor in the changing room, just going, I can't do this anymore. And this was like, well, I was about 21, 22. Seems and like really what you meant was I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you had the you know. skills to do it. You just didn't, you didn't want to yeah. do that anymore. I, 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 exactly. It was just, a, it was a stress of it. I was also like on the verge of being addicted to caffeine um, you know, I drink like three Lucasades a day at a Pro Plus um, just to keep myself going because then I do that and then I go to band practice in the evening and work and do that till like midnight and then get up again at like 5 a.m. to go back to work and you just can't do it. So you had a band you were doing as a, a hobby on the side, Yeah. would you, would you say, thinking I got to get away from these sausage rolls and become a rock star. Now you transition from that into saying into wedding singing. Yeah, so so I was a drummer since I was eleven years old. So I'd always always kind of been in music, and then I got um, I got to like I say twenty twenty three, and I'd been learning to sing for the last couple of years. I couldn't sing when I was when I was a kid or anything. I had to go and learn how to sing and and, and got taught. So at that point, I was like, right, I need to make the leap. So I pretty much took a fifty percent pay cut to go to go and be a wedding singer at the time. And I did that for four years. I started off in the whole pubs and clubs and someone said to me, hey, you'll never make more than £130 a night. And I ended up, the last gig that I did, I charged £2,000 for that day. So nice. <laughs> so I was like, proved you wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which, but in the process of being the wedding singer, I wanted to learn how to generate more leads. So, I, you know, online marketing... I know there's a lot of people who've been on there for years. For me, it was like, wow, this is this new world. And, and and Facebook was still even emerging like, what, six, seven years ago. So I start, starts learning and we create this thing called a dream and a secrets box. Create this dream and a secrets box and um, it became, essentially becomes a, a self-liquidating offer. So we charge £12 for it, we make £12 back. So we get a customer for free. That was great. We sold like 250 of them. We built a group of 3,000 brides in a group. And then we said, what do you want? Um, and they said, bridesmaids dresses at a reasonable price. So we polled our audience, conversational commerce, polled our audience. <laughs> and they said, what do you want? And we give it to them. Right, uh, right. So you said, wait, I'm doing the wedding singing, but this gives me this audience. And now I can find out what's a more profitable thing 
that yep. isn't you don't have to go and do it every time i used to be a photographer and i did a lot of weddings and i got away from that um and into a photo sharing website startup and all kinds of stuff like that because i looked at it and said i have to be here doing this or i can get a team maybe and it's just the maintenance and the every it's you're limited on your growth kind of I was like, Whoa. like you said, you're going to be making so much a night max and that's all you can do. And it takes you to do it. That was the thing with me. Right. So when, uh, I was like, can I sell this business? And it wasn't worth anything. The, all it was worth was the 2000 pounds of worth of my speakers. So basically I worked five years at a business and it paid for a new bathroom. That was it. Right. The business was you. Yeah. That's what you have in that type of industry. Especially, especially a bit like, it's one thing being a photographer, right? Where you could go and potentially get a team in. As a singer, I can't go, oh, I'm just going to get my friend in to stand in for me for the right. night. You'd have to I'm become like an one. agent and then have bands that you book. And then it's like... They... And I tried that and it, and it just did, didn't didn't suit me. You know, it's... it's an The logistics of it industry. are hell. Um, yes. You're still dealing with all these one-off things everywhere. So you figured out the marketing side and you, served, and you were like let me sell them other stuff where I don't have to perform this every time. So, but drummer wedding singer real quick. I know this is off topic. Were you, when you were doing wedding singing, were you the drummer or were you just singing? So I was, I was just, just singing at that point. So I figured out as a drummer, I'd have to be absolutely exceptional to make a living being a drummer. So I'd have to be like at the top of my game, right? Doing it pro and doing big stadiums and stuff like that. As a singer, I could be good enough and then still go and make a good living out of it. And the reason I was good enough wasn't so much because I was an amazing singer. Like I was a decent singer, and especially when it came to like baritone and swing and stuff like that. However, what I took to make it better was the performance side of it. So I studied the performance side and went, okay, how do I create? Uh, and I always remember the quote, it's not what people said. It's not what people did. It's how you made them feel. Right, right. And, so you and went I, like Dan Band with it, and you said, "Hey, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna make this a show. Uh, I'm gonna have well, some stage. Was, yeah, the people with no stage presence, they can have an amazing voice." And you're like, "I'm not having fun, yeah. though." So, so for example, like at the end of the night, what I would do is I get everyone from the wedding party, and the 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 old pitch used to be something like something like this. Right, I want everyone to get in a circle. If you're not in the circle, get in the circle right now. If you see someone not in the circle, you're going to drag them. You're going to put them in the circle right now because everyone's going to get in the circle for this final dance. We're all going to be together. You're in the circle. You're in the circle. You're in the circle. Right, here we go. We are going to be rocking and rolling. Everybody, are you ready for this? And it's like, are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? So we just got everyone going. And then all they remember from the whole night was that one moment. And they go, oh, it was an amazing night. It's like you could have been sitting down all night and it didn't matter. <laughs> you could shit the bed early, but just leave them with that strong just, memory. Just leave them with a, a beautiful... That's that's why you go to a restaurant, you always finish on dessert. <laughs> right? You don't finish with a starter. <laughs> nice. Um, yep. So I went went through that. The bridesmaids dress business was going well. It was, it was growing. I was like, wow, we made six. we made six figures in like six months. And I was like getting really excited by that. And then I didn't calculate my return policy properly. So <laughs> we had a 90 day return policy and I was calculating it based on that month's sales, but we were growing. Mm -hmm. So we thought we had a 12, 15% return rate, but it turns mm -hmm. out we had like a 30% return rate, which is standard in apparel. Right. As you but grew the logistics scale, but you were basing the issue. But we were a month to month cash flow. Yeah. So what happened is we got up, 
we got up to like, I think it was about 16,000 16, 16, uh, a month right around that. We had 25,000 uh, pounds or dollars. I can't quite remember which, it's a bit of a blur. But about $25,000 come back in two months. So right. what would happen is every morning, postman would turn up, right? As you guys call him the mailman. Um, and he'd turn up with his little van. He'd, he'd get the parcel back out. He'd scan it. And every time I heard it beep, it was just like, beep. 300 pounds you got ptsd when every time you hear a beep now i i, I literally like I, I said i called it postmanophobia because <laughs> like <laughs> for about six months even after the business finished every time i heard that beep it gave me a weird weird feeling inside me because i created that association that trigger so at that point that's why i'm so obsessed with numbers and data because i was like right. hey that's never going to happen to me again yeah yeah interesting okay so now let's let's jump straight to the amplify ccom um you start this business to focus on this testing this it seems like you, you'd had success in in each of your areas with this kind of a thing finding the mm -hmm. customer finding the way through um what is it that got you to start this business what what was the why why so what well, i actually did an exercise right um which like I recommend anyone who's at a pivot point in the in, in the business or the life, like do this exercise. And you put a line across the middle, horizontal line, and you say, what do I hate? What do I love? And then you put a line, vertical, and at the top you put, what am I frigging rock star amazing at? And then what am I absolutely awful at at the bottom? Okay, and then what you do, plot everything that you've ever done in any business on that graph right in any business in in life in general what are you amazing at and then what i looked at is that skill set then became like what amplifier ccom is and where did the amplifier ccom coming from I, I it was like well the amplifier was a little bit of a homage right as well to the whole wedding singing um and it was also all about growth because we're obsessed and then the ccom part was like ha, huh, this is conversational commerce right so this is this is like a new way of doing doing commerce online is is this conversational thing so it's it a new a, way of having the circle at the end of the uh party <laughs> yeah yeah exactly it was just it was just a it, it was just a natural thing of all these other things that have come together where you'd look at those individually sausage rolls singing subway bridesmaids dresses how does that link to where you are but every step of the journey i was actually doing the same thing and learning more about my craft without realizing it so when people go, oh, how long have you been running the business? And you're like, oh, you know, it's, I think we've just gone over two years of full inception now. Right. But technically, I've been learning this for the last 12 years. Yeah, it seems the way you approach stuff, you keep looking at the business and saying, okay, but what should I be doing? What's, where's the opportunity here? Where's the opportunity here? And so you're jumping from this to this, um, seeing the, the opportunity, like you said, with that dividing stuff up and what you're good at and what you could really be focusing on eventually i guess you get into the bot um business for conversation and then you saw the opportunity with that saying oh this is a short-term kind of fad yeah. or step to the real thing which is the whole what you're doing now yeah exactly so i was like huh maybe this works on sms so i started learning more about how people were using sms in business and and all those kind of things and then we started closing five thousand dollar deals over sms like we'd no phone calls and was like oh this is pretty cool and just doing a two question close. It was super, right. super simple. So um, when when you start looking at those things and just, 
like it's almost you've got to have this insatiable curiosity um and this is it's like we're playing with a toy box all the time and just going great we've got all these tools what if you did this with this tool and right. what the other thing as well like as as you kind of touched on previously is um and perry marshall i think talks about this in 80 20 rule um and the 80 20 rule 80 percent of the results come from 20 percent of the actions so as any good ceo should do is look at everything that you're doing in the business and go and what's breeding 80 percent of the results for 20 percent of the effort and the big thing that we found was lifetime customer value testing so some people do split testing we take it a stage further and we go lifetime customer value testing Mm-hmm. Uh, because it was like, well, if we look at the lead value of every single part of the buyer journey, the more that we do that, every time we do them, we make more money <laughs> and we right. make the clients more money. So that's where we started to put more of attention and they like housed everything else around that. That's interesting. It's something that we recommend here as a data company to our clients that we say lead attribution. There's all these 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 steps in analyzing where things come from to find the value uh, but we tell them, look, if you're purchasing data to run campaigns, email campaigns, phone call campaign, whatever it is, there's a handful of providers you can work with. And really, the ultimate test, you can get a sample. You can look at people's information. They have a lot of the same contacts because it's the same people out in the world they have information on. But they should be looking at their deals and their most valuable deals and tracking those back to what was the data source. So if it's Google AdWords, then it's like, okay, this is attributed to Google AdWords marketing. But if it's attributed back to data and trying to decide what data company to use, they should really have multiple and then look at who's actually resulting in deals. Because it doesn't matter if they give you more data, if their data looks better on the service, if they have flashier stuff, it's it's really ultimately trackable to, oh, we sent a thousand emails from these people and a thousand from these, and this one gave us more deals. This yeah. one gave us more revenue. That's all that really matters with the, uh, uh, w- w- with the data source there. So you're measuring all this stuff, looking to constantly optimize, provide a better user experience for the people. I mean, it just seems like an amalgamation of all of this stuff through uh, testing. Yes. You say you're just always testing this stuff. And, uh, uh, and test, testing, uh, yeah, all, all, all the time. And the key thing about that is, like I say, tagging at every stage of the journey. So I said to someone uh, the other day that was, uh, they were interviewing me about like some of the split tests and stuff that we've done. Now, um, he said, like, how do you typically test? It was like, well, something that we're working on at the moment is this multivariant testing. And I was like, but we'll do, for example, four versions of an opt-in page. And then we'll do four versions of the VSL page that they go to. So then you've essentially got before you know it, you've got 24 different tests. And he said, how do you ask? I'm, I'm losing your connection. I was like, well, that's okay. Be- oh. I lost you around. You've got 24 versions and then we kind of. Um, okay. we've, we've got a couple minutes left so, and this will be edited out. Let's kill the video um, because that can take up bandwidth so we can make sure we get good audio at the end here. Okay. Good stuff. All right. Um, so uh, pick it up where you're saying you've got four and four gives you 20 some odd, something like that. Yeah. So, so we've got four variables 
uh, and then three versions of that and then four variants of the next stage in the funnel so we've got like four different variants and then what we do is because we tag every stage of the buyer journey then we can actually see well which thing at each stage actually got the conversion and then we can see the highest lifetime customer value so it means we can test 10 times as quick as most people are doing a b testing so that's not really about testing oh this combination works with this but just about testing more things at once so it doesn't take as long to gather all the feedback yes yeah, so then we apply the 80 20 rule mm -hmm. right so yes occasionally we'll be off but 80 percent, probably 90 percent of the time we're going to be right right so because because we can see the tags at every stage we can see well what journey did people go through to make the purchase and then just track it backwards and, and then all we great, do is then isolate that that's a great point because you're testing things doesn't mean you get it right all the time <laughs> sometimes you still get it wrong you just get it right way more often than if you aren't testing stuff um, sometimes people think that when you put out a solution like this you say oh and then everything just works every time no it doesn't Oh, it's not a hundred percent perfect. It's just much better. Yeah, um, one hundred percent. Yeah, not a hundred percent perfect. Just a hundred percent better <laughs> of, yes. of a solution for this. <laughs> okay, can you give us one thing? We're almost out of time here. One thing, if people are looking for kind of this conversation automation type of a thing, what's what's one thing they should be doing if they were to go change one thing other than uh, you know, call Amplify Seacom uh, and, and hire you guys to do it. What's one thing they could do themselves in their funnel to uh, to improve the results? Yes. Yeah, so what the the first thing that I would do is uh, if you've got a Facebook group or a community, go and look through the language patterns that those people are using in your community. If you've got a list, survey the list. If you haven't got a list, go and partner up with someone else who you can go and survey their list together who's in the same niche and collect those responses um, together. So like find out what your customers' language patterns are and use them. Excellent, excellent. All right, um, let's see. I wanna let people know before we end here where they can find you. Obviously you can go find uh, Paul Ace on LinkedIn and uh, Amplify Ccom. That's AmplifyCCOM.com. Uh, we'll have some links in the show notes here for some resources you guys have as well. Um, you have a, a seven figure audit. We'll have a link to that on there. Anything I haven't mentioned here, you want to let people know where they can contact you or, or about your company. Yeah. It's, yeah. So you can go ahead to amplifycom.com And also we've got our own podcast, um, which is called the amplify to seven figures podcast, where we interview seven figure plus uh entrepreneurs who talk about mindset and um results and team building and like basically what it takes to run a seven figure plus business um so you can check that out amplify to seven figures uh podcast um and check that out on itunes and all the other stuff awesome we'll put a link in the show notes uh for that for that as well so just uh, check the show notes at ifyoumarket.com if you want to uh, to get all those links and, and see where you can you can find uh, Paul Ace, um, CEO here of Amplify Ccom. Any any uh, info on what the Ccom? Why why Ccom? See Ccoms for the conversational commerce. 
Conversational commerce. Excellent. Okay. I thought we went over the amplify. I got a reason for that, but the CCOM was still was stumping me. Um, okay. Paul A, CEO of Amplify CCOM. Again, find more information if you market.com. Links to all of his stuff. And uh, thanks in advance for giving us a rating on iTunes or wherever you listen. And on behalf of the Ify Market team and Paul Ace of Amplify Seacom, thank you for listening to the Ify Market podcast, where we believe if you market the shit out of it with conversation automation, they will come. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.